fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast, almost at the very, we're at the tail end of the first month of 1992. Uh, we're at the tail end of Jeez. January already. Jeez. It's kind of crazy, that, friends. That flew by. It's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. So we are at the tail end of our first month of the year, which is our, which is our crime and punishment month. So we have had uh, most of our movies, like all of our movies this time around, have dealt with crime or punishment in some way. Uh, we had our Patreon this month was To Kill a Mockingbird. We had Lethal Weapon 3 to start off the year. We had Hoffa last week. This week is My Cousin Vinny. Next week is Passenger 57. So we've got all kinds of good stuff kicking off the year here for us in 1992. Speaking of good stuff, I've got a whole bunch of people here with me that you have not heard from yet. You did hear Pat there for a second. Pat, how's it going? It's going great, John. Hi, everybody. How you guys doing? Just to let everybody know, if at some point, multiple times in this episode, you hear what sounds like something melting into a small puddle, it's because Pat is probably looking up entries for Marissa Tomei and IMDb. <laughs> just just to be clear. Uh, yes. We've already reached that point, haven't we? Yeah. Pat, who, who are we going to talk a lot about this episode? We're going to be talking a lot about Marissa Tomei in this episode. I created it, but it was by request from, uh, I think it was Jason and Dee from the Shirley You Can't Be Serious. Yeah. After, after they heard you sing Dreamweaver, they're like, you guys have, you got to use that more often. <laughs> that has to become a soundbite. Yeah. So, so it is, it is now it's, it's up there. It's joining the ranks of the Pat rejected your question and being Pat-splained. So yeah, there, there it is, man. We're, we're, we're covering every angle, every possible yeah. Every possible angle. And and don't worry, if need be, if Dennis gets disgusted during this episode, I do have a soundbite of him leaving the Howard the Duck episode. Okay. So <laughs> that is outstanding. So I can I can pull I can pull that up and use it anytime. <laughs> outstanding. Awesome. I think it's mostly That's just awesome. him saying, I'm gonna be sick. I'm about to vomit, and then you just hear his like chair scrape against the floor and then <laughs> yeah. and he's out. Yeah. Speaking of Dennis, awesome. how's it going? Good, good. Uh, therapy after that episode. I I can imagine. Don't worry, we're not doing Howard the Duck this time, so you're okay. I'm kind of bummed I missed that episode. To to see that in person would have been a <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, in episode four hundred we're redoing our first ones. You know, at some point we can go back and start to redo some of the other ones. <laughs> We can we can pause. Wait, two. We could do that for the the Patreon feed. We could call it like thirty podcast replays, and we can we can re-record 
you know, have your thoughts changed five or six years later? Wow. The amount of research involved in that would be a challenge for most of us. Uh, Myself included. (laughs) Bo, how are you doing? I'm fine. Good. Fine. I I think I'm regretting bringing up past episodes. (laughs) That's mostly just that one. Yep, just that one. When, Anything else is good. When when your episode when the episode title is vomit breath, then you kind of know. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> there's there's some anger issues with that one. Just and they bit. tormented me after that. There was many many pictures sent to me. Yes. Oh wow. Yep. Well, That's you kind of you kind of telegraphed your weakness, right? That's when you got up and left, it was like, yeah. "Oh man, Dennis is really mad." Well, fair game. Well, I think you guys got it during the actual episode. I think I also got like a picture of the bathtub. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you were you were in your cooldown room and we were texting you pictures. Yep. <laughs> did I change your desktop background on your computer? I think you did. I think well, I did, yeah. Did. yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of torture. Uh, so it's like, it was. A lot of you know, a lot it's of like reaction bow, but it's like, you know, it's post traumatic stress here. Yeah. Kids, we don't oh, condone. I, get, I just get picked on for wax on, wax off. I can I can oh, tell man. That's, that one. That's nothing. That's true. <laughs> That was Speak that was my favorite. That was my absolute favorite part of that one Keanu Reeves movie. The wax uh, on wax geez. off. Yeah, that was after he had the blue pill, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, that's a different blue pill, but anyway. My anyway, goodness. my cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah, two years. We gotta we gotta talk about this one, guys, because my biological clock is ticking like this. So we we gotta get going here. Yes, it's ticking like Pat pounding it's, on a table. Kind of, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a throwback to old episodes too. So, very quick spoiler alert: we spoil the movies we talk about, so just be warned. If we start to talk about another movie in relation to this one, everything's pretty much fair game. So, this is your only warning there. Very, very quickly too: we are members of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network. If you want to go check them out, they've got a bunch of different celebrities that could be booked for a Comic Con or event. Go to scenestealersglobal.com. Then you can visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can leave a rating, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon, and get access to all the different bonus episodes that we have put out over the last year and a half or so uh, over there. So any amount of support there gets you the access to those episodes. So go check those out. 30podcast.com is our website. I don't think we have anything else necessarily going on right now very very quickly i am going to say i am super excited and ready for the batman movie that is coming out in march Mm -hmm. and i just realized Mm -hmm. that it's almost the end of january which means february the shortest month and then at the beginning of march i think is when the batman comes out so that's like barely a month away so i'm that's very exciting i'm kind of excited for that very exciting yeah yeah all right. Anything else? Any other any other news that's been out lately that anybody's just itching to talk about? Or? Mm, not from Pat. No, not from Pat? Okay. All right. Well, then let's get into My Cousin Vinny. My Cousin Vinny came out on the 13th of March, 1992, rated R, with a runtime of 1 hour 59 minutes. It was directed by Jonathan Lynn, who also directed Clue, Sergeant Bilko, The Whole Nine Yards. Producers were Dale Launer and Paul Schiff. Launer did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Love Potion Number no. 9. Schiff did Young Guns and Made in Manhattan. Writer for this one was Dale Launer, who did Ruthless People and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Cinematography was done by Peter Deming, who did The Cabin in the Woods and Mulholland Drive. 
Editors were Tony Lombardo and Stephen E. Rivkin. Lombardo did Uncle Buck and Popeye. Rivkin did Pirates of the Caribbean movies and Avatar. Music was done by Randy Edelman, who did Kindergarten Cop, Gettysburg, and The Last of the Mohicans. Budget on this one was $11 million. Box office was $64.1 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 72%, and Cinema Score gives it an A-. For this one, we have Joe Pesci playing Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, who was also in Raging Bull, The Irishman, and Goodfellas. Ralph Macchio played Bill Gambini. He was in The Karate Kid, The Outsiders, and Cobra Kai. Marissa Tomei was Mona oh. Lisa Vito. Okay, I'll give you a second. Okay, there we good. All right. I'm okay. I'm good. Okay, good. Was uh, Mona Lisa Vito, and she was in What Women Want, The Wrestler, and the Spider-Man movies. Mitchell Whitfield played Stan Rothenstein. He was in Sergeant Bilko and Friends. Fred Gwynn, who died in 1993, played Judge Chamberlain Holler. He was in The Munsters and Pet Cemetery. Lane Smith, who died in 2005, played Jim Trotter III. He was in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and Red Dawn. Austin Pendleton played John Gibbons. He was in The Muppet Movie and Short Circuit. Bruce McGill played Sheriff Farley. He was in National Lampoon's Animal House and Runaway Jury. New York lawyer Vinny has never won a case. When his teenage cousin Bill and his friend Stan are accused of murder in a backwater Alabama town, it's up to the nervous Vinny to save him from jail, even though he's only ever tried personal injury cases before, and none of those successfully. A funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bread. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. We need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. Oh, yeah, you blend. You graduated from law school six years ago. What have you been doing since? Studying for the bar. That's a lot of studying. What's this over here? You never heard of grits? Sure. I just actually never seen a grit before. It's his first case. Now, they're not tell you dress appropriately. You were serious about that? The way you handled that, Judge. Oh, you're a smooth talker. You are. It's their last chance. The two youths. Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? But with Vinny's style, I wore this ridiculous thing for you. And Vinny's girlfriend. We agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. My biological clock is ticking like this. And the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. They're dead meat. May I have permission to treat Miss Vito as a hostile witness? Don't you think I'm hostile now? Wait till you see me tonight. Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. You two know each other? Yeah, she's my fiance. Well, that certainly explains my hostility. All right. I'm assuming we've all seen this before, but if not, go ahead and chime in with that too. How does this movie make you feel? And do you remember the first time you saw it? It makes Pat feel tingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love this movie. I remember my parents talking about it. I remember because they saw it first. I'm trying to think. 
I wasn't old enough to go see it in the theaters or any of that kind of stuff by myself. But wait a minute, this is 92 now. So that's another year. I saw it pretty quick after it came out. Like it was still pretty fresh, you know, in, you know, rental kind of within a year or so of it coming out. I remember my folks talking about it, laughing about it and they didn't spoil things, but I I mean, I kind of knew of, of the humor and they had kind of described it to me and everything. So I saw it back there, probably rental, probably at a, Maybe we rented as a family, not with my younger brother or sister, but yeah. So that's, and how does it make me feel? I love it. Like I watched it this time and I'm like, man, this has got to be a regular watch. I love this movie. And I found it funny. I, you know, the way the story was, it was, I mean, no, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything, anything disparaging. It was just a fun story. It was just a fun movie i really really enjoyed the movie i like the actors they put in it i thought everyone will get more into all that so yeah it made me feel with one exception it made me i i just love the movie it's it's great oh now now i'm curious to know what the one exception is but we'll talk about that i don't recall seeing it at the theater but it was definitely uh, probably one of those new release video rentals my dad got because i think at that time right around 20s my dad was going to the video store he's like number one customer at Berwyn Home Video, renting like five movies a day, watching three of them, fast forwarding through the other ones and then returning them. Anyway, he, this would have been one of those that was probably quick on the anything comedy. And so this would have been a quick, quick release. So we would have seen that as the, when I say quick release, we would have got, you know, seen it pretty quick once it was released on video cassette. Yeah. I love this movie and just saw it today with my daughter. So I'll give you guys their feedback quickly, just quick summary, you know, summary a little bit later. Let's see what else is the question. Just how, how to make you feel when we saw it. Yeah. So 20, 20 years old. I was going to show it to my kids earlier. I remember revisiting this one and kind of being eager to do it. However, I forgot how, you know, that it was rated R and F-bombs. For some reason, it felt like a PG in my memory. And then when I saw it, I was like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a decent number of F-bombs. So my kids were like seven and eight, nine, ten, whatever. (laughs) I wasn't showing them that. So. Yeah, they might be a little young for that, but I'm they telling you, I, 11, 12, 13, too. I don't even know when I was, I, I remember revisiting, oh, I should get that one from the library and I go, man, it's radar. And then when I was like, wow, it has, does have a lot of language in it, but nothing, I mean, it's, it's just mainly F, you're looking at mainly your F bombs, but at the time we were not. Yeah. And honestly, the way, the way Marissa Tomei swear, I mean, I could oh. listen to that all day. It's like poetry. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's like music. I was, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm stepping all over your intro. I'm back on mute. <laughs> So no, that's it. So good movie. Loved it. Yeah. I think like these guys, I probably, I don't think I saw it in the theater. It was either a, a movie rental when it was on the new release shelf or possibly even an HBO release at that point in time. But you know, it would have been a Joe Pesci comedy would have been high on the list. We'd already seen plenty of movies with the F bombs by then. So that wasn't a problem for my little brother. He saw them earlier than he probably should have, but hey, life goes on, right? Still love this movie. It's it it amuses to this day, and you know, it's one of the few movies. Even though there's a lot of f bombs in it, like sometimes you see a movie, and when it's when it's the TV edit, you just roll your eyes because the language just doesn't make sense. I've seen this the TV edit of this one where they take out all the f bombs, and it really doesn't lose much. There's a couple of jokes that don't land. But it performs better on TV than some other movies, some other rated R movies do, which is a testament to the writing and all that other, and all the other stuff we're about to talk about. But I'm, yeah, good movie, good time. 
Yeah, for me, I, I could probably tell you exactly what year I first saw this. It wasn't in the theater, and it was probably 1996, because that's when my lovely wife and I started dating in high school. And I think, especially like that first year or two of dating, was anytime we had the opportunity to, it's like, okay, here's one of my favorite movies. Okay, now you pick a movie that's one of your favorites. And we'd kind of do that, you know, kind of do that all back and forth. And this is one of her favorites. Like, and, and I did not realize. I knew I liked Sharon. I, <laughs> I didn't realize even to what degree, because it's been a little while since we've watched it. And I had kind of forgotten to what degree she can quote this movie the same way I can do Star Wars. Like, it, it was as if I had Marissa Tomei sitting in the room with me because she's sitting over there doing all the different scenes, you know, all the different quotes, and, and not missing a beat. Like, she's over there, she's like, now, <laughs> she, she starts in with the, you know, where they're in the scene, and we're gonna be, I'm sure we're going to be jumping around and quoting things, but we started in with the scene where when I told her we were going to be watching this movie, almost exactly from memory, she starts in with, imagine you're a deer. You're prancing along. You get thirsty. You spot a little brook. And she goes into that whole thing. And bam! Now I ask you. <laughs> right. You didn't oh. in the water. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can ask yourself, what kind of pants is the would guy you, who shot would you? Would you give up what kind of pants the who shot you was wearing? Yeah. So I definitely saw it probably the first year we started dating because that was one of her... I want to say, actually, it might have been one of the first few movies we did see together because I remember pretty early on, she really liked the movie Benny with, why am I blanking, Johnny Depp, and then My Cousin Vinny was another one, and there were a whole bunch of them that were kind of some of those early 90s that had just come out not too long before we started dating, and so definitely first time I saw this would have been 96. And how does this movie make me feel? It's just so much fun. It's just, I, I just start smiling. As, as soon as I knew that this one was coming up, I just I just smiled. I was like, oh, good. We get to watch this one again. What I love about that scene where she does the little speech with the deer thing is yeah. the way it's filmed is there's a second part set up to it. In other words, she starts mm -hmm. off talking about the deer yeah. in the bed, and then she leaves the room. Yeah. You think it's over, and then he starts going about what he should wear, yeah. which means He's already moved on past your little speech. And then she just comes right back out with it. Like she's been stewing about it in the bathroom. And just when he brings up the pants, it's still just bothering that much. that there's got to be part two. And we've all had those conversations with our <laughs> you spouses with before. So I think that's the genius of that scene is there's really but, like yeah. monologue one or speech one, speech two. Well, and just just let's we'll focus on that scene for a second because this whole thing kind of starts off with when they're talking about how he's you know going to bond with the guy so he can get his files and everything else, and, and then it just, it goes into the what kind of starts it. He's like, "What am I going to wear?" She's like, "What are you going to hunt?" Like it makes a difference what you're hunting for what you're going to be wearing. He's like, "I don't know." I, he got a lot of stuffed heads in his office. He's like, "Heads?" He's like, well, "What kind of heads?" I don't know. He's got a boar, a bear, a couple of deer. Whoa, you're gonna shoot a deer? I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I'm a man's man. I could go deer hunting. A sweet, innocent, harmless, leaf-eating, doe-eyed little deer. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what. And I, and there's so many interactions where. It, she, I mean, how do we say it? Do we say these characters aren't two-dimensional? Their relationship is so just fascinating to watch is so entertaining to watch oh, yeah. because he's just like, you know, I could use some support. I could, Oh really? 
oh well you were wonderful you were marvelous and just the way she could say that and you know it's funny because they definitely have like the the east coast italian accent but it's not dialed up to 11 to the point where it's like oh my gosh that's okay this is going to be a little bit much mm-hmm. but when she wants but when it calls for it in, in the scene and then it, all it does is just add to the humor. Yeah. Right. Oh, you were so wonderful. Oh, you were so amazing. Oh, what, you know, or like the, like the very end. Oh, cause you're too big of a man to say, well, look at this, your first case, you're going to have to say, you know, thank you. You couldn't do it alone. So will you marry me? No, I don't want to marry some guy that can't take his case himself. <laughs> like she just flips it right around. It's uh-huh. just awesome. It's just awesome. So, uh, so we start off the movie. Movie starts off that Ralph Macchio and his friend are heading off to college, but they decide to take a little detour through Alabama. Apparently, as you do, you know the and, southern route to L.A. Right. The uh, what was this? The the Doc Hollywood route is that Los Angeles via a place no one would ever drive to go to Los Angeles. Yes. Um. So they end up at this little convenience store, and they, you know, they're stopping to get some groceries. They inadvertently, this will come back up in our, our three questions a little bit later, Ralph Macchio inadvertently ends up stealing something, and then they get pulled over later thinking it's because of the shoplifting, but there apparently had been a couple of guys in a very similar, if not identical, car had come to the convenience store right after them, shot the clerk, murdered the clerk, and then gotten away. And you, you kind of have the whole comedy of errors there when they get arrested and they think they're being arrested for the shoplifting. So as they're confessing, quote unquote, to the shoplifting, like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did it. And the cops are like, oh, OK, OK, like that was easy. If there had been the staples button at that point, I feel like the cop would have just reached <laughs> over and hit the staples. But uh, yeah. And so then you kind of get that. You kind of get when he's in there with the sheriff and uh, he's like, so so you shot the clerk. I shot the clerk. Yeah, I see. <laughs> like, okay. Be very, very careful. Just a little, a little PSA here, kids. If you ever get arrested for something, make sure that what you say cannot be used as a statement, even though you meant it as a question. Just be very, very careful, because he keeps repeating it. He's like, "I shot the clerk. I shot the clerk." <laughs> and you know, of course, the the stenographer that's sitting there, like taking all the notes, is just writing everything down exactly as he's saying is, well, okay, we got our, we got our confession there. So, so then they get locked up and their one phone call is to try to find a lawyer and, and miracle of miracles. He has a lawyer in his family and his lawyer is Vincent LaGuardia Gambino Gambini. And uh, so, yes, he's, he's an attorney and uh, probably according to his mother, he's very good. Well, we do know that he, you know, what, what was it? He took the bar six times? Six times. Yeah, took it six times. So six times is a charm. But it's just, I mean, from the moment, from the moment those guys get arrested to all the stuff, the, the introduction of Vinny and Mona, and they just, it just, it's hilarious. And that one scene, and, and continuing the comedy of errors, that one scene when they're in the jail and yeah. they've tried to talk to each other, like prepare each other for, okay, well, you know, when you're in jail, like there's, Bad stuff happens, so you just got to be real careful. And you got, and then of course Ralph Macchio's character falls asleep, and Vinny comes walking in, and it's, it's Stan thinks that that's like their that new is cellmate. Classic. Yeah. We'll let him sleep. <laughs> we'll just let him sleep. We don't need to wake him up. Look, you little punk! I'm doing you a favor. I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> yeah, must have been fun writing that scene. <laughs> 
And I'll say there were two scenes in that movie that had that kind of comedy. The first you already referenced where he gets arrested and he's talking about can of tuna. The, the sheriff's talking about shooting the guy. He's talking about the can of tuna. Yeah. And boy, I don't know. Like I obviously not being a film writer and all that. And Dennis, I know that you study and actually take part in making films and all that. So I, you know, feel free to chime in if I'm off base, but you know, that would be really easy to become kind of like, Oh man, that's just shtick that, okay. We're always cycling back. They're kind of recycling. Okay. We've done this before the conversation where two of the characters are talking about two different things, but they only do it twice. And both scenes are incredibly effective. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not only the delivery, but the writing, I mean, it's just those, both of those scenes are just magnificent. (laughs) Well, like you said, that one in the jail cell, you know, look, why don't you get that? What, what, what do you want me to get down on my knees? You should what? be on your knees. <laughs> you should. Be, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it is, it is very, very, yes, they are very funny. And they, you know, the thick New York accent makes it even better because he just sounds so mobbed up. Just, you know, mm-hmm. you should be on your knees. It's so funny. It's- other than other than uh, Leo Getz, has Joe Pesci done any other comedy at this point? Because this was kind of my this and Leo Getz were my introductions to Joe Pesci. So the idea of Goodfellas and Raging Bull and all that that came later. Like not a comedy though. I mean, he, what was that? I said Goodfellas scene. What do you think? I'm funny. <laughs> yeah, funny like a clown. Well, I mean, Pat he. Pat, he did do one of your least favorite movies. He did do Home Alone before this. Um, okay, he did Home Alone. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, look, and I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to give Home Alone a hard time. I just, they were really terrible to that kid. I mean, anyway, that's another story. Yeah. But that's, that's right. He was in that one as well. Yeah. And that would have been two, what, two years before this? Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. So that probably would have been my introduction to Joe Pesci. Okay, cool. I'm just kind of a random, random musings. I did not have an opportunity to go listen to it, and I'm not going to play it here because it looked like every song was marked with uh, explicit lyrics. But apparently Joe Pesci put out an album from the persona of Vinny. So the the album says that it's it's the, the performer is Vincent LaGuardia Gambini. And there's a whole bunch of songs in it, but every single one had the explicit lyrics. So I'm like, all right, I won't play that on the podcast. But that that could be pretty interesting. I did not realize that Speak- he was he was singing. Speaking of songs, I jumping way ahead to the credits. The close the credits tune was that written specifically. That was a fun tune, and I, it seemed to be written specifically for this movie too. I think it was, yeah. I think that was one well, of those cool. like I think it was one of those like along the lines of like the Adams family song or the you know some of those others written for the movie. Mhm. Cool. So yeah, it's, I I think one of the other funny parts is when you get to when you get both Mona and you get Vinny and it's the kind of, you know, fish out of water of them showing up in this small southern town. And, you know, they, they go and they try to get breakfast at the little uh, diner. <laughs> what do you want to have? Yes, we'll have breakfast. <laughs> yeah, but the way they study it, well, what do you think? Yeah, well, no, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the menu just got breakfast, lunch. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what makes, that's what I find fun about both those characters is that they, yes, they're fish out of water, but they're very like self-aware. Yeah. They know they're fish out of water. And even when he's screwing up in the courtroom, he'll drop references to it. Got a judge that wants to throw me in jail. I got a dress code problem. I got a this, I got a that. Like they're not, well, clearly, I mean, there's different intelligences, but I mean, like they're not, they're not buffoons, right? We're not laughing. Yeah. We're not laughing. Well, we're kind of laughing. Well, no, I don't know. We're laughing at the situations they're in, but we're not laughing at them like they're buffoons. They're just like trying to figure it out. And that's the thing is, they know they got to figure it out, you know? Yeah. But see, it's ultimately like, it's still, I think, yeah, they don't come across like a couple, you know, dumb um, stereotypes. It's like, it's pretty much what he said. It's kind of like if that person who's not book smart, doesn't know all the technical rules of everything, but he knows how to win something. Mm-hmm. He knows how to, mm-hmm. how to, how to get to the bottom of something. And, you know, and, and you see that a lot where there's people who might have the degree who might've passed the bar and the, but they're horrible. Look at the other lawyer, you know, you know, that whole guy, like, that's just a great thing because his friend thinks he's got this great lawyer now and he thinks he's going to be in better shape than that. And he gets up there and it's like, oh, crap. You know? <laughs> I want him. I want him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think him going up there, he always seemed to be smart. You never thought he was stupid. And everything he did with every witness from the beginning led to that. He never was really yeah. like inept other than the way he approached things, sitting on the table. The, yeah. I know what the, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, he told me to sit here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just didn't, he didn't know the, he didn't you know, know that he didn't know the etiquette and protocol. Yes. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was it, but he was smarter than everybody else there really. So, yeah. Well, like that, well, even not in the I courtroom, think... when he's not in the courtroom, you still have like that scene where he goes up to the, what's the guy, JT is the guy's name. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to pull up the quote and make sure I got it right. I understand you played a game of pool with Lisa for $200, which she won. I'm here to collect. Well, how about if I just kick your butt? Oh, a counteroffer. Well, that's what we lawyers, I'm a lawyer, we lawyers call that a counteroffer. This is a tough decision here. Get my butt kicked or collect $200. Let me think. I could use a good butt kicking, but I'll be very honest with you. Now, nah, I think I'll just go with the 200 over my dead body. Oh, you like to renegotiate as you go along, don't you? Well, here's my counteroffer. <laughs> and just like going through that whole thing of like, he's like, so if I kick the crap out of you do i get the money you kick the crap out of me yeah yeah you get the money okay so here are my options and he goes through the whole thing and he's like all right he's like so we're gonna fight now yeah but first show me the money oh i have it oh you have it then show it to me i can get it oh you can get it okay get it then we'll fight so you know he's using that whole again he's not a dummy he's using that whole kind of like lawyer he knows it's the 20 with the ones underneath and the guys are yeah. oh, <laughs> and then finally he does it it's like quick boom boom and it's yeah. over and he, you know, it's like one punch two hits me hitting you you hitting the floor <laughs> well also, the, the trying and to, i think some people might think the gags with the sleep and i think that was classic those are all good too mm-hmm. oh yeah sleep and they can't get sleep well, you know and it's like he goes and i'm gonna stay in jail i might get some yeah. sleep yeah yeah well, then one guy's like, "That's uh, it's uh, what do you say? It's uh, unusual, like that it goes off at five a.m." He's yeah. like, the "Next day, I thought you said it was unusual." That's almost a Mox Brothers type of. It's usually here at four fifty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and I think what you also see is there's a lot of just that quiet chauvinism too. Not necessarily with him because it comes out with, well, sort of with him, but he just wants to do things on his own. He doesn't want anyone to help him, even though she knows what she's talking about. Like she could help him study. She understands those books. She's the one that says, dude, he has to disclose that information to you. And it's the other characters that just treat her like, oh, you worked in, you worked in, the, in the repair shop. What'd you do there? Like you could just sell like the, 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 the next part of that statement is, well, did you, did you work in the office? Did you bring people coffee? You know, I mean, that's the thing too, is that she is ever bit as smart as he is. And just, you know, I don't think he thinks down on her. I think he just doesn't like, he doesn't like to ask directions. He doesn't like help. He's the guy who's got to figure this out. And he yeah. needs her help only when he needs her help. But he doesn't like, it's very, that, yeah, that comes across. My daughter had saw it with me, had seen it with me earlier. Yeah, what were their takes? Her words were that Melissa, Marissa Tomei's character carries the film. <laughs> That's what she said. And, yeah. um, and then Hunter said that, what's it, she's, what's the phrase here? She's a smoke show. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> He made it clear that I say that, that make sure I let you guys know that. Okay. Smoke show. She's a smoke show. <laughs> I, I kind of knew what it was like smoking hot, but then I get like the thing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, you have very, very smart kids. But in the end, <laughs> raising them well. But in the end, you know, you really think about it when she's even on the phone at the end and being ticked off at him, she's also saving his butt at the same time. Right. Because later on, you find out that that phone call was for the facts and the whole thing, and you know where he was. You like, got a friend in the clerk's office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, this, I, this, he's awesome in the, in the court scene when she's just going off, like she's just spewing all the information out and just making everybody look stupid. She's talking about. It. He's just like he sits on their thing and he's smiling and he's like just enjoying the show. Like, let her go. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear about that. Yes, his reaction. So would I. <laughs> his reaction was so good. It's like classic. It just she just do you so he knew he pushed her button of what she knows, and mm-hmm. she's going, and he's like, "I'll just sit back and enjoy this." Yeah, and you know, you can't answer it because you don't know. No, it's a trick question. Here's why, and then he's just like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, like I like he just like the 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 district attorney. He's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. And he's like, uh, you know, and then the judge, do you two know each other? Yeah, this is my fiance. Well, that would explain the hostility. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's quite good. Like, will you please answer the counselor's questions? No, I hate him. <laughs> Yeah. Good film, man. It was a good watch today. Well, and it was, it was, you had like the, the other parts. It didn't treat, it could have gone the direction where you treat a lot of the Southerners as complete idiots too. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I feel like this movie did a good job of balancing it out so that the Southern characters didn't get treated like they were completely, you know, backwards, uneducated. It was, it was more of a, well, we're not dumb. Like we just have a different way of life. You don't necessarily understand. And there were moments of course, where some of them were kind of a little cartoonish, you know, like the older lady with the really thick glasses, Yeah. you know, so you had some cartoonish characters and, and what are these little things here called? Those are trees. 
Yeah, <laughs> trees. And, wh- trees. and what are these things on the trees called? And what are these little bushy things called? <laughs> Bu- bushes? There you go. Good job. <laughs> I so, think I mean, there's a couple of times, but. There's a scene, I think it's early on when they're in the police station or something, and, and his buddy, I forgot the other character's name is, he says something about, he goes, something about them all being inbred, da 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 he goes off at the rain, he goes, and he looks at the, the police officer, it's like, so, when you say there's the balance, it's like, he, he called them out on the stereotype, but they defended, and they were offended by that stereotype, and he corrects it by going, well, some of them are, some of some them are. <laughs> it's like, the clan is here, they're inbred, they sleep with their sisters. Yeah. Well, some of them well, do. Well, some of them do. And they didn't argue that either. They're yeah. kind of, it was like, all right, well, I, I, not all of them. Okay. That's kind of the balance that was struck. Yeah. And then the police, and then the cop at the end. I mean, like, I think if you're going to go cheesy, you're going to make them villains. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're not cheesy, but if you're going to go like with the full stereotype, you're going to make, in the end, the, the lawyer is not a villain. The lawyer cor- no. congratulates him. Yeah. In the end, the, the sheriff actually, you know, in the pursuit of truth, does he could have? It's not hiding it. They're not like they're evil or anything. No. Um, they were some simplistic in their thinking. And when you think about it, you know, you can look at it in the perspective of saying, "Hey, we've got three eyewitnesses," and that's what we were talking about with this case. And maybe I talked a little bit about it after without him. I go, well, in some ways, it's. You know, I mean, which is the far more far-fetched stories? These two kids from out of town who went in there, you know, and then they leave, and people saw them leaving and driving away in this car. There's skid marks, and it's their type of tires, and it's the the color car, and two kids. You know, like you look at that, and it looks like a slam shut case from that side. But then you flip it around, and you say, well, why would these kids be buying all this stuff, pay for it, then rob the person? You know, that so there's like both holes in both stories, but at the same time, the Southerners aren't necessarily while there's a quick quick obviously a quick rush to judgment it's not grounded on something that's not you know somewhat appearing to be solid you have three eyewitnesses who said they saw him you know they did admit to stuff in the beginning you know even though they weren't admitting to it so the i think it works because it does have that nice balance and then in the end the sheriff and them is like they get the, the true people they look it up and they don't lie about it so, you know, from the, from that, yeah, state, I agree. The Southerners are, are, you know, aren't treated as an enemy, I guess, which could have been a possible make them so stupid and so set to be right that they hide things and that they don't seek the truth. Yeah. And they really didn't do that throughout the entire film. You just had some witnesses who weren't clear on what they saw, but they thought they saw. And that was pretty much it. So it wasn't like a really, there's no bad person in this. Mm-hmm. Other than the two guys who actually committed the the, the murder, so. And but you don't even see them. No. Yeah. And so I think it toes the balance up pretty well. It toes the line on like using the humor of the South, but not doing it so over the top that it becomes ultimately offensive, a hundred percent. And you're also doing that with the Italian, you know, kind of heritage as well and stereotypes that it still lets him be wise and be a good lawyer in the end, and not just be some. Uh, foolish guy so and it's not i mean the sheriff himself the sheriff went to college mm-hmm. right he just didn't finish yeah. his classes because he's daniel simpson day has no grade point average all courses incomplete i so, know i know <laughs> so I, so we know I he like, went to school he just didn't go to class yeah. well and i tell you i liked it when he was running the con well i go by my stage name yeah. gallo <laughs> Gallo's dead. Yeah. Of course, Gallo's dead. That's why I'm talking to you. I said Gallo. I mean, it's just, it's just like, and I mean, I don't, man. Right, if you, man. if you've ever known, like, I've never like known like a con man before. But if, if you ever know as far people as you know. that have run, 
as far as I know. But I mean, you know, I've, I've known some friends that have run some scams over teachers getting homework and like you watch them work and man, they're good. And it's like that kind of thing. Like they can just keep talking. And if they run into a wall, well, they just, they go, they go lateral, right? They just go lateral and they keep it going. They keep the, you know, they just keep the play alive. In this case, as long as the ball's in the air, the play's not over. Yeah. Yeah. In this case. So we've, yeah. so we've already, we've been quoting a whole bunch of stuff, but I am going to ask this before we get into our three questions here in a second. Do you have a favorite scene or a favorite quote from this movie? I'm just going to, I'm going to start off with a dark cloud and then I'm going to get out of the way. The one thing that I saw oh, yeah, was in this ask movie, especially, especially watching that was that they made the public defender have a stutter. Okay. And, mm-hmm. the, and I'm just like, I, I like that's, I'm for me, that's just, you talk about open and shut case. Like I, I can't get behind that personally. Yeah. I'm just going on the record of saying that. Cause I mean, it's just like, I mean, that is such a, such a, a, a struggle and something that should not be a punchline. And I was, I was disappointed rewatching this because it's just like, okay, you know, and then it's, it's explained away like, Oh, I was just really nervous. And it's like, yeah, these guys are pretty creative writers. I mean, we don't need to be talking about, you know, special need and making that the joke, making that the punchline. Do you know what I'm saying? Like could, I could I, have been another way to show that. It could have been another way to show it. And you don't even need to make it like a stutter that you don't even, you could have shown what you wanted that that guy really wasn't as strong as you wanted without it being that. And I thought it was, yeah, I thought, I thought that was below where the movie could be. So just replace, anyways, I'm, replace it with an uncomfortable amount of sweating, a comfortable amount of sweating. You could, I mean, heck I'm not a writer and I've got, you know, I, I just give me five minutes. I'll brainstorm ideas of how that could have gone. And like the guy didn't even reappear in the movie. Like he was in there for like one or one scene where he was speaking. Right. Yeah. I, to be honest, like I, did you even need him in the movie? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like I, so anyways, I don't want to take up too much precious time. There was too much good about the movie. Just a little bit of the background on that whole thing too, by the way. Number one, I do remember a protest being back then during the Academy Awards because she had won and the movie was like obviously up for like her winning the Academy Award. So there were protests by stutters and things like that. that yeah. Day. I do remember that happening back then, but I also an interesting side note is, and again, I don't know if this falls into that and I know obviously for you, Pat, it does not, it doesn't fall into the Fairly Brothers thing about like kind of no things off limit. I think it's, you know, like, I, like they, they actually discuss that and the actual actor who portrays that Pendleton, mm-hmm. actor Austin Pendleton is a real life stutter. Mm-hmm. So he was cast by his friend, Jonathan Lynn as a tongue tied public defender. Lynn told at normal use that even though he knew Pendleton would be hilarious in the scene, he wasn't expecting it to be that funny. Apparently he had to hide behind the camera because he couldn't stop himself from laughing. So I think that what it was, was what Mitch Whitfield also found his scenes of Pendleton hilarious. Again, maybe not thinking how the greater public goes, but where I think it made it in was because the director knows this guy, he's friends with him. They are obviously in the ability to laugh about his stutter as whatever friends and that they both find it, you know, whatever. So therefore it was easier to cross that line than, Hey, let's just cast this guy as the stutter. He was like, I mean, that's what they're doing, but it was under the, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a little bit of the cloudedness of the friendship and the fact that to them, it's something they can both joke about. 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you and everyone else out there can joke about it. So I guess you err on the side of caution, which they didn't do here. But at the same time, to them, he's a stutter and he's not offended by it. He thought it was hilarious. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. Like two brothers poking fun at each other. That works. But if you start poking the same fun of somebody at school who you don't know, which, again, audience members are going to be people you don't know, is it something you should do? And I think that brings up your point or question. Yeah, that there are people who are offended by it, obviously. Yeah, and and it wasn't like <clears throat> he didn't have, like I said, the stutter was the joke, right? Yeah, like yeah, it, no, it was, and he knew that it was. That's the only reason he was cast in that scene. He plays a very short time. The last thing that my professor in college would tell me, tell us our band before we would go on stage, is just remember, guys, when we go out there no inside jokes. The audience doesn't get them. They'll fall flat. No inside jokes. When you're on stage, make sure the audience is in on the joke. And I, that, so, I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, and that's great that they were friends and I'm glad that, that the actor didn't feel that, but I mean, I just watch that now and I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. So anyways, I, like I said, I, I don't want to make it a whole dark cloud. Cause I, I, sincerely loved so much about this movie as far as academy awards i mean yeah i don't even know what this thing was like nominated for what it won for but i'm i'm glad it was in there because my i just thought it was magnificent movie but that was one thing that i bumped up against and just didn't couldn't quite get past marissa tomei won for best supporting actor or actress actress yeah yeah real quick because i want to find out what what some of your other favorite scenes are i was i was reading up on the imdb trivia stuff pat you're gonna appreciate this because you and i did the razzies episode not too long ago apparently originally this movie was written for andrew dice clay to be the lead actor in the movie (laughs) okay those people listening at home could not see pat's face it kind of looked like pat just tried to devour an entire lemon. Yeah, so after after Dice Rules did not do well, and the movie The Adventures of Ford Fairlane did not do well, then they decided, nope, not going to have him star in My Cousin Vinny. So apparently they dropped it, and then he was no longer, they, they cut ties with him, severed their relationship, and said, all right, bye-bye. And uh, so apparently he was the original, they intended for him to be Vinny in this movie. And thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, that's a different movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought Joe Pesci was amazing. Yeah. I can't see anybody else. I mean, I'm sure you could have somebody else play Vinny in this movie, but why? All right. Before we jump into three questions, favorite scene? Is there anyone you could kind of nail down as a favorite scene or? Mine's more a quote, but it's the one that comes up more often in my life. These two utes. Yeah. What's a ute? Uh, ex- excuse me. What was that word? <laughs> utes. Did you, did you say utes? Yeah, utes. What's a ute? <laughs> the two youths. Youths. Yeah, that that exchange there. I think that that takes all of that fish out of water stuff and all the stuff that happens between he and the judge and kind of encapsulates it in that one 
scene between the two of them, you know, mm-hmm. just that moment there. It's, it's all there. There's so yeah. many, so many of those quotes that like, because Sharon knows this movie so well, there are so many of these quotes that kind of get used fairly regularly. If we're talking about some different stuff. You well, know. and you do have two Utes. Well, that's true. We do have two Utes in the house too. But I mean, there's, I remember one time we were at, where we, at? we were at one of the art stores and I think Nora was picking some stuff out and she wanted to get a bunch of different colored pencils, but then she also wanted to get a blender, like the blender pencil. And I, somehow we ended up we using the line, oh yeah, you blend. You know, somehow <laughs> she, she yeah, was trying you to. You blend. <laughs> well, at least I got the cowboy boots on. Oh yeah, you blend. <laughs> So I kind of have a hard time narrowing it down because there's so many of so many of her lines that gets used pretty regularly. Oh, it's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to say okay, so I, I will I will narrow it down to the entire scene of her explaining everything about the car. Oh. <laughs> you know, from from the moment that it starts with you this can't answer the question. Has attraction. <laughs> Nobody yeah. could answer that question. Yeah. From about that moment on, that whole scene. Yeah. Yeah, that that scene's just amazing. The defense is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. How can you possibly notice this car? And then she goes through the whole thing, and and it's just like there were only two cars that were made with pause attraction. One was a Corvette, but don't I mean it's just it's just great. Yeah. I like I like the scene with the drip with the with the faucet. He's like, you know, and then Joe Pesci keeps looking over there and he's like you know, and uh, and I, I I think there was pretty darn good chemistry between them because the way that scene progressed, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? I, I thought I and it was just it. <laughs> it was just very subtle. It was just very subtle. Like both. It was two fantastic actors just doing a fantastic scene. I mean, but yeah, it was just like maybe you need to twist it, you know, because I used it. That yeah, I've, it's just. That was a very good scene. Maybe you didn't twist it hard enough. I twisted it just right. How could you be so sure? If you look at the manual, you'll see this particular model faucet requires a range of 10 to 16 foot-pounds of torque. I routinely twist the maximum allowable torquage. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the opening statement I like, too. Everything <laughs> the guy just said is bold. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then the, then the follow-up Objection. <laughs> That's good enough as it is. Objection. Yeah, that's counsel's entire opening statement is argumentative. He's sustained. Counsel's entire opening statement, with the exception of thank you, will be straight from the record. And then I would say the deer hole, the deer scene, but we already discussed that. That would be one up there. How about when he's sleeping and all of a sudden they think it's the owl or something makes the noise and he runs out? Kabang, 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 kabang. I believe that was a real owl. Where did I see that somewhere? Hold on. Yeah, I think Yeah, that's. The quote, the 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 quote from the director is, "We got real lucky with that screech owl." Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the little under the breath things. I don't like your attitude. So what else is new? <laughs> yeah. I now there's an effing surprise. <laughs> what did you say? What did I say? What did I say? Yeah. This the scam he's running on his name. That's that's good. Herman Munster as the judge was awesome. Oh yeah, Mr. Gambini. Was... The next words out of your mouth better be guilty or not guilty. 
I don't want to hear commentary, argument, or opinion. I don't want to hear any facts or evidence. If I hear anything other than guilty or not guilty, you'll be in contempt. I don't even want to hear you clear your throat to speak. Now, how do your clients plead? (laughs) I think I understand. I don't think you do. Yeah. I love, the, I love I love I love the part when he's I love the part when he walks all the way back and he's holding up the fingers and he's like, How many fingers yes. am I holding up? And then the judge let the record show the counselor is holding up two fingers. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I thought that was really good because it, it kind of brought the judge oh, the judge kind of blew it, right? I mean yeah. I thought that was Oh yeah, he blew it. Well, cause because one of his one of his next lines is now Mrs. Riley and only Mrs. Mrs. Riley and just like the look they give each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I was, you know, and when you think about that, how did the judge screw up? He screwed up because he was sticking to procedure because down right. here we follow procedure, yeah. you know, and it's, it, and he was following procedure. And what did that cause him to do? He let the cat out of the bag with the thing. You know, I, I thought that was just a real, uh, cr- real creative bit of writing. The one I'm going to start using with my children is uh is, is also from the judge mr gambini yes sir that is a lucid intelligent well thought out objection well thank you your honor overruled <laughs> overruled <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right i think it's time for three questions <sighs> yes he asks each traveler five questions three questions three questions impossible to answer impossible because you don't know the answer nobody could answer that question i want to ask you a bunch of questions i want to have them answered immediately what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, three questions for my cousin Vinny. And you can answer the questions. None of them are trick questions. That's a fact. Have you Number one, have you ever unintentionally or intentionally stolen something or been accused of stealing something? I couldn't tell you what, but I know for a fact I've walked out to the car and been like, oh, crap, that was in my pocket the whole time. And then you went back in and the clerk was dead. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> That's, that was super awkward. Yeah, like little things. Like, you know, you pick up a candy bar or something, and you put it in your pocket, and you're going to forget to put it out on the thing. Or I know I've done this. I had, like, something on the bottom of the shopping cart, like a like an orange juice or something, and you forget it's there, and you get out to your car, you're like, oh, yeah. Right, so I had something similar like that when I was a when I was little. My dad would give me you know, like five bucks, or whatever, go down to the store, pick up the Sunday newspaper. So on Sunday morning, I would walk down to this store called Miller's, a little grocery store in the neighborhood. And I think I was probably about eight, nine, ten years old, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't even know. So I'd get the paper, and I'd have a little extra money left over because you're always getting a little bit. So I would buy something, and, and you know, you're walking around with this big Sunday paper, which back then they're a lot bigger than they were today. They were like for a kid too; they're pretty heavy. But so I had the paper, I had everything else. I would put it kind of like under my arms, like under my armpit, kind of like and walk around the store, pick out other stuff, and then put that other stuff in my arm with the paper. Well, 
I used to get the flavor ice, you know, the popsicles, the flavor ice, mm. and they're pretty thin. Well, one of them apparently slid into the paper that I did not know about. So I had walked out and all of a sudden it fell on the concrete as I moved the paper later when I, you know, on my way home, I was like, Oh my God. And, and we're talking, I think 20 cents, 30 cents, you know, so they weren't ridiculous amount. They might've been 50 cents. I don't even know for one of the flavor rice cause they're the bigger ones. But anyway, at that point I was like, what do I do? Do I go back? Am I going to get in trouble? You know, and I thought, Oh, and, and in the back of my mind, I was like, I just felt really horrible. But then Apparently, I didn't feel so horrible enough that one other time, probably within the next year, I went down there and I would go and buy with the extra money other stuff for my brothers. So I wasn't entirely bad in this case, but I would buy stuff for my brothers and as well so that they all had a flavor ice. And I had four brothers, so it was a lot, plus my dad, plus my mom. So, you know, like, I'll try and get enough for everybody. I was a little bit short. I remember thinking, do you remember when that paper went in there? What went in that paper? I remember thinking, I'm one short and I don't have enough money for it. And I stuck it in the paper again. But this time, when the guy was taking the paper, it fell out on the counter and he got me busted. <laughs> I got busted for trying to sneak one in there. Worst feeling in the world. Never again could I even look or think because I was thinking, well, I was doing it for good to give it to some. I was like Robin Hood, you know? <laughs> I was stealing from this rich store. I mean, I wasn't really stealing. It was just, it was a kid, eight or nine year old, thinking it's 30 cents or 40 cents and I didn't have enough money for it. And blah, blah. And I remember him looking, he goes, I know your parents, if they knew, da, 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 da. And I just felt like the, the worst. Oh, that's oh my God, it was horrible. You tried to. Like, I will never steal anything in my life again, even though I was thinking this one time, if I could just, last time it was an accident. So it's kind of like the same thing, you know, you're rationalizing it in your head as an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, so that 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 actually happened to me by accident, then happened to be intentionally. So, or I did something intentionally that was wrong, and uh, and learned a, a valuable lesson. Which yeah. that that maneuver, I believe, is called the reverse Uncle Billy, where you steal something by putting it in a newspaper. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh. Pat. Well, I mean. Aside from, you know, the occasionally you get out and you look at your receipt and you realize, oh, man, they didn't charge me for this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, you got to fix that. Like the only time, and this might, this might sound a little bit off the, off the question. I was in college and our cafeteria, and I don't, I still to this day don't understand this, but they didn't let you take food out of the cafeteria, mm-hmm. right? There were all these signs that said, all food must be consumed before leaving this, you know, I see you guys nodding. So I guess this is rare. I'm sure there's a logic behind it. I still don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, you could take at at ours at ours. You could take out fruit. That was it. You could take like a banana or an apple, but, and everything else had to stay. And I, I don't get that. I'm sure there's a reason I'm I'm sure maybe they just don't want the mess in the hall. Maybe it's that simple, you know, like I, whatever. So, you know, and, and I knew that there were people because there was some food was all you can eat, right? And then some food was you paid. And I knew there were guys that were my friends that, you know, they'd come in, sneak in through the whatever door and then just go back up into the line to the all you can eat section and, you know, lift food that way. And I never did that stuff. But I remember I was signed up and I was going to practice trumpet with my professor this one morning. And my professor, my trumpet professor was also our, our jazz studies director and everything. And he, he, he was a mentor still is a mentor in, in many ways. And it was funny because I was meeting him for trumpet practice early. We usually meet about seven o'clock to practice trumpet. 
And so I'm getting food early and I'm like late. I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, I got to run. And so I think I grabbed, I don't know, whatever the heck was on the plate. You know, I put the tray in the captive thing, but I ran out in the hall as I was eating, running across campus to get to the fine arts building to practice. And I was sitting down to practice by trumpet instructor and we were set up on one of the stages in one of the auditoriums or wherever we're playing away and, Oh, how'd it go? Yeah. Good, good, good. And, and I said, yeah, I, I said, I got, I got a little bit late this morning or did you get breakfast? And I said, yeah, I grabbed something. And I said, I had to grab it from the cafeteria and run. And what did I, and how did I phrase it? I said, I, I, I took something from the cafeteria. Oh, I said, they, they don't like it when you take food from the cafeteria and eat it or whatever. And I described it to him, but the way I said it, he looks over at me and goes, Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Pat Canigallo. That's not right. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, man, what is up with this campus? They're really serious about this. Don't take food out of the cafeteria. I said, well, I said, I know there's all this time about not taking the food out of the cafeteria, but I said, I didn't spill anything. Like I, I don't get what the big deal was. I said it. it and I, I looked at him. I said, you know, it really wasn't a lot. It was like, a sandwich or something like that. And he goes, it doesn't matter if it was a sandwich or it doesn't matter if it was an entire meal, it's wrong. And I'm just like, Oh dang. Like, okay. And I go back to playing trumpet, but then here's this guy that, you know, is like your mentor holds it, you know, and this whole thing. And boy, he's disappointed and it's playing in my mind. We play along, we play along. And all of a sudden it hit me the way I phrased it. He thinks that I stole the food out of the cafeteria and I said, hang on a second. I said, I'm really sorry to break up, you know, the lesson, but can we cycle back to that conversation? I said, I just want to explain. And he gives me this look of like utter judgment of like, okay, go ahead and try and talk your way out of this one, buddy. Because he was always the one that was telling us, hey guys, just remember, it's hard to explain your way out of what you behaved your way into. You know, so I'm just like this. And he's got this look of judgment. I said, I think I misspoke before. Everything that I ate this morning was on my tray that I walked through. The cashier saw I paid for it. all the money. Like there was nothing. I didn't steal anything. He goes, uh-huh. I said, when I said I took food out of the cafeteria, I mean, I set my tray down and picked up the food that I already paid for. I want to reiterate that money was, you know, and then he was like, oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's better then. And we went back to playing trumpet and I like, and it, but like the guilt of it was so bad because when I'd said, oh, I took food from the cafeteria, that's not right. And I'm like, I w it was almost like the thing in the movie where there was like the parallel conversation kind of thing. So anyways, that's about the closest that I can come. I know it's not like some great, like, you know, the Italian job kind of like a uh, robbery story, but that's the, that's the closest I've been of, of being accused of stealing something. And it didn't feel good. So I was glad that he took my word for it, that that's not what I meant. Let's see, for mine, I... As far as I know, I haven't stolen anything. I mean, it could be something unintentional, like, you know, Bo, you were saying you accidentally leave something in the cart and it doesn't get rang up or something like that. The one time I was accused of stealing something was, I believe the year was 1999, and we were headed to the Student Journalism Conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Bo is already laughing because he's probably heard this story many times. <laughs> The the faded journalism in yearbook conferences of ninety eight ninety nine. There's yeah. some deep stories in these bad boys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
and my significant other is still with me. Well, wonders never cease. That's a testament to her patience. But so we were on our way. We had left Chicago, and we had a layover in Denver, which then our next flight was going to be to Albuquerque, just like Bugs Bunny took a left at Albuquerque. But we were in the Denver airport. We had a little bit of a layover, so we were out, you know, it's a bunch of high school kids, and we were walking around. We went to, like, the one of the little newsstand places that sells the magazines and pack of gum and stuff like that. And at that point in time, because I, for some reason, I thought it was super cool, the watch that I had at that point in time was a pocket watch because I thought pocket watches were cool. So pocket watch, of course, you have it, you know, clipped to one of your belt loops on your pants, and then pocket watch goes in the pocket. And so I knew it was kind of close to time when we needed to go get to our flight. So I'm in there with a couple of friends and we're in the, like the newsstand. We're looking at some magazines and books and and whatever. And I pull the pocket watch out of my pocket. I take a look at what time it is and I put it back in my pocket. Well, the clerk who was running this newsstand, I think thought that I had taken something from one of their shelves, put it in my pocket and that I was stealing something. So he stops me, won't let me leave the store. And then he calls security, won't let me leave until security comes. In the meantime, my other friends are there. They're like, hey, I think our flight is boarding. Like, we got to go. And I'm like, I would love to go, but these guys are not letting me leave. So security shows up, and this guy's accusing me of having stolen something. And I keep asking, well, what did I steal? He's like, I don't know. I saw you put something in your pocket. And I, I emptied my pockets. I'm like, I have a little bit of change here. I have a pocket watch. And that's what I've got. And here's my wallet, too. Like, I I have nothing. I said, this is the change I had. This is the wallet I had. Did I take money from you? He's like, no, no, no. But you put something from the store in your pocket. I was like, it's a pocket watch. And I pulled out the rest of my pockets. I'm like, do you sell pocket watches here? And he's like, no, we don't sell pocket watches. But you put something else in there. I'm like, where? it's nowhere else. I have nothing else here. No other place I could have hidden this. It's a pocket watch. And so I very, very close to, you know, not getting in during the time our plane was supposed to be boarding. All my friends had abandoned me. They're like, okay, we got to go. Hopefully you can make it. But so I almost got detained by airport security at the Denver airport for stealing my own pocket watch. Yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. A little bit like if, if anybody knows, if anybody remembers or wants to go back to last week's episode where Pat was talking about his run-in with the police, you know, it's a little bit like that story, but we'll, you can go back and listen to that episode for that one. Uh, question number two, favorite model of classic car, which I'm going to go ahead and apologize because apparently I caused a bit of an issue with this question. I, I knew that this would take up some time and, and brain power from, especially from Pat and Bo. So I do apologize. I tried to send this question a little bit later in the day so it wouldn't consume every waking hour, but. And, and, and I just want to cycling back to your last comment, just, just that whole thing with the, you know, the, I just want to say the issue was I was walking on a public path. Okay. That was the only thing that I needed clarification was the path around Lake Geneva was public. And I just, you know, there seemed to be some discrepancy about that. Mm-hmm. Dennis can back me up on that one. Yep. <laughs> For those that cannot see Dennis's face, <laughs> it was as deadpan as it gets. De- Dennis, Dennis just pulled the Forrest Gump version. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. All I have to say about that. <laughs> lips, lips firmly pursed. Dennis, Dennis agrees. All right, kids. So anytime that you're, anytime you have a run in with the law, just make sure you know exactly which path you're allowed to walk on. And if the store sells pocket watches. Correct. 
Well, it's funny because there's that story too. I was thinking about like when they were in the in the in this. There's a couple things that re- would remind me about that the movie. Um, I was saying earlier with the snacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you stole anything? I'm like, no, he doesn't have to. He has somebody else going to the pool and buy this for him. That's right. I stole from you. It was like that. Was, Ralph Macchio was me at the at the at the thing. We we pulled. There's this for people out there who work with us. They know the story of going to a cross country thing and on the way back, Pat falling asleep at the wheel, driving a stick shift, which I cannot drive. I'm worried we're gonna die. He's doing push ups, rolling down the window, smacking himself in the face, whatever, trying to stay up, and we got another hour and a half to get home. So then Pat all of a sudden says. Hey, uh, you hungry? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And he's like, well, I think I'm gonna have to stop and get something. I'm, like, I'm gonna stop. Yeah, I just I need I need something. I'll wake me up. And we go in there. I go to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. I'm walking around like Ralph Macho. I have my arms full. Of shit. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't want to buy anything, but I, you know, you stop off at the gas station, you start buying snacks. So I have this whole bunch of snacks. I didn't realize we get back in the car, and Pat's like, yeah, I didn't find anything. I like, yeah, I didn't find anything. So then we're driving along, and Pat's like, you need that. <laughs> He proceeded pretty much to eat all my snacks. They were the yogurt-covered raisins. They were really good. <laughs> I had like a variety. I, I I almost had everything but the can of tuna. And uh, <laughs> and it was just like one of those things of as I started to realize, like, this was genius by Pat. He basically says, let's stop. Or, Are you hungry? I say no. He says, well, I am. Let's stop. He goes in, doesn't buy anything like an idiot. I just have to buy something when I'm there. And then he proceeds to eat my food for free. Like, that's great. And so, then, yeah, now we're at the story with the, the, the rest there. Yeah, that's. Uh, so in this yeah. story, in this story, is Pat, your girlfriend eating your French fries? <laughs> <laughs> what, see, what I made is I made him a counter offer. Okay. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> let's see. I could stop for snacks or I could eat your snacks. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking the the offer was more like I could fall asleep and we could die, or I could eat your snack. You know, in all fairness, we slowed down when I fell asleep, so we probably It's when I woke up that suddenly we'd start going faster. There was I'm sure slump. the I'm sure the transmission loved that. 80, 60, 80, 60, 80, 60. <laughs> He's doing push-ups on the wheel. <laughs> Uh, all right i remind me never to carpool with pat how about it mm-hmm. you're gonna go you're gonna go now we need to, that's that's got to be our 400th episode is all the cross-country stories yeah <laughs> the trips to state normal normal Illinois. nothing happens in normal normal <laughs> that would be like that would be there's the smoothie story running around chasing a card. We heard that yeah, one too. We heard about that one. <laughs> yeah. Are you oh, that's a classic. Yeah. Are you hey, you better give him the smoothie. No, his buddy's leaving. <laughs> he <laughs> came out. Tony's like, what's he doing? He's waving. He's saying we could go. Are you sure? He's saying, yeah. I'm, what he's I'm saying, hold on. Okay. Two <laughs> smoothies in my hand. I'm running like this. <laughs> He's running down the middle of the highway chasing us. <laughs> Anybody who saw that just said the ladies there are telling that story, you know, right? Probably on a podcast in there. Because I took off I took off because I took off out of that parking spot probably like they did in the movie. I think I I, I laid some rubber leaf in there. I'm like, I'm like, son of a (laughs) And she's like, Hey, your friend's taking off. (laughs) I remember the lady still blending. I'm like, I think it's done. (laughs) 
one minute, I think, for like 10 minutes. You bought it for like 10 minutes, and I'm like looking back, telling you, like, it's okay. It'll be a minute. Just wait, just wait, just wait. You're like turning the car around. I backed in. in. Backed in one it minute, in. turned around and backed it in, like, so you can save that 10 seconds getting out. <laughs> <laughs> And the lady's got the blender still going. I'm just like, it's like, okay, how long is that blender going to go? I'm like, I think it's done. <laughs> it's good enough. It's blended good enough. That's what I told her. <laughs> so, Pat, if you, if you had a favorite model classic car that you were going to oh, fall yeah. asleep in while driving, which one would it be? All right. John, this question, unfair, my I, friend. I know, I know. You know, you know, so many things flash to mind. The Lamborghini Miura. I mean, you know, and both and I both thoughts went to 69 Charger, Mustang Fastback. Going through the whole list, I got to be completely honest with you. I have always been a fan of, like, the street rod style of cars. Like, if people wonder what that looks like, think the John Milner car in American Graffiti. I've always been partial to that. And it's, you know, because they're custom, there's no one that has caught my eye, but I'll tell you, any of those like 30s model Fords, I tend to like the coupes, but my thing is I really like it when the motor's exposed, no fenders or running boards or anything along the side, so the tires stick out, it's like open wheel, the motor totally exposed, headers along the side, and uh, I don't know, there's a couple different versions of them out there, I really like the Model A's, you know, the Deuce Coupes are cool looking cars. And I've also, I've always been a little bit partial to, to the, uh, to the rad rods. I just think that would be, that would be the coolest thing ever. So uh, even like the Model T, the T-Bucket Roadsters, any of that's really cool. So to kind of narrow it down, that's going to be a little bit rough, but I've, I've always been partial to that, that street rod style. And like I said, something pretty close to, you know, if you're not familiar with it, think of American Graffiti, John Milliner's, I think it was a Deuce Coupe. I think it was a 32 um, yep, 32 Deuce Coupe. 32 Deuce Coupe. And like I said, I like that style. I like the exposed motor. I like the coupe. I like the exposed tires, exposed wheels. The only thing that I'd play around with was maybe making it more of like a rat rod. But I don't know. But that would that would have to be it from Classic Car. Oh, what about you? Well, I my my big struggle with this was, you know, what was classic? Are we talking classic muscle? Are we talking classic look? Are we talking like what was the so in in true thirty something podcast fashion? I couldn't do just one. I, I went with two because okay. I had one for classic look and one for classic power. My power car is the seventy, could be the sixty nine, could be the seventy Charger depending on what your frame of reference is. The top two that popped into my head are Dom Toretto's from the original Fast and the Furious or even the Ghost Rider version of the Charger for power. You, you can't beat that sound and that that look just looks mean and powerful. But then when you're talking like classic look, style, luxury, even the Rolls-Royce Silver Wraith. It was a post-World War II model, I believe, and I, I didn't get a chance to confirm it, but I'm pretty sure that's the one that's in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when they mm-hmm. exchange for the tanks. I believe it's a Silver Wraith. It is just a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. 
and it's just the styling of it is so cool. So there's my two because I couldn't do just one. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to two as well. And it would be the 69 Chevy Impala if I could have that mint condition because it was my first car ever. And the 72 Monte Carlo SS is what I think I finally would go with for this one. Both of those, if I could get those cars back in like mint condition and drive those now, that would be pretty sweet. Those would be outstanding. <laughs> so cool. Mine for this one, I, I immediately go to the 33 Ford Coupe, the ZZ Top car. Like I've always, if I could have a classic car that would be the one to have i remember when we were living in missouri we had an opportunity at one point my dad was going to buy a it was a mid-50s ford truck we were gonna it, it was already red but it needed to be repainted but we were gonna buy it we were gonna kind of fix it up and that was gonna be i mean the idea was if we had continued to live in missouri he wanted to buy that because i think i was about you know 14 at the time and he's like we'll buy that we'll fix it up that'll be your car you know when you can when you're old enough to drive and I think we were we were really, really close to getting it, and the guy that he was going to buy it from just would not would not meet the price my dad wanted to pay for it. So like we were we were that that close to having that. Otherwise, some of my runners up would be I would just like to have, you know, i'm I'm not a car guy, so I you know, usually the car stuff doesn't make that much of a difference to me. I would probably go for cars that look like cars from movies or TV shows that I loved. So, I'd say, and, you know, some of these are, I, I think we, we clarified and said that we were going to talk about classic car being something from 1975 or older. So neither of my runner-ups work. My other one was going to be the, what was it the Firebird that they used for Kit in Knight Rider mm -hmm. and uh, the DeLorean. But those are both 80s, so that doesn't quite work for the classic car criteria that we had. But no, I, 33 Ford Coupe would be the one I'd go with. You have to grow a long beard to attract it, though. I can do that. That's fine. Yeah. I'll do that. And then number three, favorite item of clothing. So, Vinny wore this stupid thing for you, Judge. What stupid thing are you going to wear because it's your favorite item of clothing? I'm going to go, I, in true, as as Bo said, in true 30 podcast fashion, I'm going to list two. One item of clothing I don't have anymore. Actually, I, I have a new Pac-Man shirt that I'm wearing tonight. But I used to have a Pac-Man shirt that was my dad's. And it eventually disintegrated because it was probably about 30 or 40 years old. And I have pictures of when I was a baby. We had one that was baby-sized that I wore. And my dad had the matching shirt that he would wear. And I had his shirt up until... I think maybe three or four years ago and the thing finally just fell apart. So that was, it was, it had softened over the years to the point where it was the most comfortable thing ever. So that, and then I've also got a, like a fleece sweater, like a, just a, like a dark gray fleece sweater that I bought when we went to England in the late nineties. I think it was late nineties. I went to England, I bought it there and I have had this thing ever since then. And it is still in halfway decent condition and, it is the most comfortable thing. So I go completely for comfort. If you had asked me when I was 14, I would have said my leather jacket that I bought in Germany. <laughs> but that's when I thought I wanted to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. When you stop deciding you, you don't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore. Because he works out. Ah, okay. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. You know, I've, I've given up on the Hulk Hogan, what was it, the 24-inch the pythons 
yeah. that Hulk Hogan has, I, I'd i be fine with like 24 millimeters. <laughs> it's my 24 millimeter garden snakes. All right. Anybody else have a favorite item of clothing? So I don't know that I've owned anything long enough to have an attachment to it like that, but most of that has to do with my increasing width yeah. uh, than anything. But I suppose there is a there's a there's an Aloha shirt that I have that is like that. Okay, it is vacation. I am in shorts and, or swim trunks. And I just throw that shirt on, and I it, it, it doesn't have any pockets, so I don't have any phones. Like it is just vacation. So maybe if I have one, it's that. I mean, I'm just I'm not really. This is not a good question for me. I'm just anybody knows how I dress. It's there's nothing really. You do like that box and burn shirt. It's I, you know, shirt. that's what my answer was going to be. The oh, box. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I oh, you're good. That's good that you actually bring that up because that, that's what my kids would say, too. They're like, man, you always wear that shirt. There's a box and burn, three quarters, baseball style shirt. You know, it's got the gray hair and the, the blue sleeves. I had one like that some years ago, too. It wasn't a box and burn. It was just a three quarters. I think it was a white sock shirt. And then there's a Fornarelli's t-shirt, well, Fornarelli's boxing gym from Windy City. Back in the day, it had like two guys like... Like drawn and punching, like you know, and in, in, in a boxing kind of rocky sort of pose, but it wasn't so cheesy or anything. But I mean, I, I guess that's really, I just when you say like a little bit of what John says, comfort, you know, I find a pair of jeans that fit, you know, and they're comfort because being 6'3, you know, it's if I go to big, we're just talking about this with uh Matt Paul now, we're just we're both about the same height, and it's like you go to one place and, and it's too short. You go to another place, it's too wide because you can't go big and tall. We're in the worst size. It's like if I was two inches shorter or if I was bigger, whatever, that would work. But, like, there's, we're just kind of in that lost size. So when I find a T-shirt or a shirt that I like that just kind of fits comfortably and fits as best it can, you know, I wear that thing into the ground, you know. So you'll see me wearing it a lot and often. And I just keep washing it and just keep wearing it and just keep washing it and wearing it. And Yeah. The regular guy look. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I, all my clothes now, it's like if I, f- I found a shirt that works, I've got like 12 of that shirt. Yes. Yes. And that's I got a pair. Yeah. Here's, every, here's col- every color it comes in and then you don't have to think about it. Even if it's the same color. <laughs> I've got, I've Is got it like, 12, so- I've got. Pat, are you that guy in the commercial where it's like, you know, being worried that you're becoming your parents? And they have the guy that's like, so where have we seen this shirt before? And he's holding up the same shirt he's currently wearing. (laughs) And and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get it anyway. You know what? If Tammy wasn't sleeping and this would be creepy, I'd take you up to the bedroom right now and show you my closet because I've got like 12 to 13 black button down collared shirts (laughs) and 12 to 13 pairs of uh, khaki. Here you go, Dennis. Slacks, four pairs of which are cargo pants. And that like. I don't think. It's just and the funniest the thing about this is that when I was doing the digital communications class, I was teaching classroom in APE. Me and Pat, without having to really plan too much, very often we're doing twin day. Shirt, or I'd have the white. Sometimes I had a white shirt. You had a white shirt. Sometimes we have either a button down shirt, and then we'd have the the, the khaki pants. You know, and that's right. what we do. Is kind of our thing. We walk in. Hey, you wear that. We yeah. look at it, it's like you're wearing it. You're wearing it. Kids would be like, "Are you brothers?" Yeah. Yes. Half brothers. No. And then, and then during the summer, it's cargo pants, yeah. cargo shorts, and black t-shirt. Like, just, yep. you know. Yeah. 
So yeah, so I'm definitely not like into the whole fashion thing or anything. That's not my thing. It's like yeah, whatever. Has, has anybody seen? You guys watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? I know if I asked this before, Larry David. I don't. So if you ever, I've watch, heard I would love it. I've just it, never. It's now on there is Funkhauser's kid because Funkhauser was the Super Dave Osborne guy who passed away. But anyway, so he's on there, and there's a whole episode about a shirt. So there's a good thing where he borrows a shirt because the button down working is going on a date. He borrows one of Vince Vaughn's shirts and then it gets ruined. It's this whole thing about a two-tone shirt. It's just a really good, funny thing about you buy, you give your best friend his best, your best shirt. And just, it's a good, good shirt. One about some Hollywood guys about some, their shirt. Yeah. It's a good episode. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of, so we've given you some fashion advice. We've given you some, you know, if you're out in the market for a classic car, we've given you some ideas here. We've also given you some ideas on how to steal stuff if you really, really want to. I think most of all, we've learned that Marissa Tomei is just the best. I mean, yeah. I, knew I, I knew I'd get Pat's agreement on that, so I figured that was a pretty safe <laughs> statement. It's a, it's a fact. A smoke show, smoke according show. to your son? Yeah, okay, there, she's a smoke show. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to do that's it for this one. not just a bunch of olds saying that either. No. no. Uh, so that's going to do it for this one. The website that you can go head over to is 30podcast.com. That's got all of our previous episodes and other good stuff for you to check out over there. Our next episode's coming up. This month, we've got To Kill a Mockingbird is our Patreon episode. So if you are a Patreon member, you can go check out that one. Passenger 57 is going to be the last episode for this month's theme of crime and punishment. Then in February, we've got uh, Women in Film, and we've got our Patreon is Favorite Movies with Female Leads. We're doing A League of Their Own then, uh, Basic Instinct, Single White Female, Sister Act, and Jennifer 8. And then in the month of March, we have got Far and Away. And then about that time, we'll be hitting our 400th episode, so we're going to redo our first ever episode with the lost audio. We did Gremlins, Ghostbusters, and Nightmare on Elm Street. That'll be our 400th episode. And then we've also got Last of the Mohicans, Scent of a Woman, and The Bodyguard. Plenty of good stuff coming up over the next few months. <clears throat> Gentlemen, okay. as always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Yes, great. All right, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time.